I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Oh, I am so glad to have you here today. Here we are still in the season of Lent, and uh, last three weeks we've been talking about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. If you missed any of those shows, you can catch them on our archives. Uh, the easiest way to find them, because our archives have recently moved from one location to another, uh, is to go to our website, OutsideTheWalls.com. There in the right-hand uh, corner there, the right-hand side, you've got a sidebar. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, it says Subscribe on iTunes or FeedBurner. Those are the new links. So if you want to put those in your phone or uh, whatever you use to listen to a podcast, you can get to all the archives Right there, easy peasy, no problem whatsoever. They're being hosted by Breadbox Media, one of our producers here, uh, and they uh, they keep it updated because I, I don't do a very good job keeping it updated. You know, like two or three weeks would go by and I put up 12 episodes at once, and how do you listen to that? But no, Jennifer over at Breadbox Media is right on top of things. She makes sure that the episodes are archived within like an hour of them being aired. So you can catch that by going over to our website, OutsideTheWalls.com, right-hand sidebar, all the way at the bottom. Subscribe via iTunes or FeedBurner. That's all the information you need to catch up. So we're talking here about the, the Lenten observance, alms, fasting, uh, and prayer. And then we're also going to be talking about today, confession, which is what is the result of that alms, fasting, and prayer. Because when we pray, we see things as God sees them. He gives us that perspective. Uh, and so we see some things that we thought were good, and we realize, oh, those don't really need to be, I don't need to make that a priority in my life anymore. Uh, I don't need to hang on to that, that habit or that, that guilty pleasure anymore, because through prayer, I now see it as it is, and it's not really all that great. Uh, through fasting, I find out what I'm really hungry for, right? As I give up those things that uh, have kept me sated. They've kept me full. And now I start to see, uh, I get a little hungry and I find out that maybe I get a little, uh, perturbed or angry, or maybe I'm hungry for, uh, the wrong things. Fasting shows me what I'm really hungry for. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I hunger and thirst for the presence of God? Or do I have more selfish motivations and hungers? And then uh, almsgiving shows us what we really value. As I give away my time and my talent and my treasure, all of a sudden, I see what things are really important to me. And so it gives me the opportunity to uh, recognize where I fall short, recognize where I valued things that are not valuable, and I've hungered for things that don't satisfy. And it allows me now the opportunity to see my weaknesses not for the sake of staying there and seeing my weaknesses, but for the sake of pursuing righteousness and pursuing God. And I do that first and foremost through that sacrament of reconciliation, confession, penance, whatever you want to call it. And so today we're going to be talking with Father Alan Carter uh, about that very thing. He is a priest of the Diocese of Lexington, Kentucky. He's the parochial vicar of Holy Spirit Parish, which is right there, part of the Newman Center on the University of Kentucky campus. And so he's going to talk to us about his perspective of confession from his side of the screen. It's going to be a great show. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I think it's going to be a great conversation. But we're going to start off, as always, with prayer, 
with our reading from Scripture. It's going to come from today and our reading from church history. And I think that this is really going to set the stage for us as we continue on thinking about this Lenten season and thinking about uh, what we need to do to prepare for Easter. So let's pray together. Lord, may this Lenten observance of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ bring us to the full joy of Easter. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now, when we get into these readings, it, it can so often we can get into our, our reading voice, right? Uh, uh, Come, let us return to the Lord. And right, we, so we put it in this context of uh, high language, and, and we miss the fact that what's being expressed here in the, our readings of Scripture were expressed by humans, just like you and me, right? They had the same desires and heart cries as we have. And so they are expressing something that's very much something that we would express. And so to listen for that humanity and, and that point of connection, even as we hear the words of Scripture. Today's first reading comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. It is He who is rent, but He will heal us. He has struck us, but He will bind our wounds. He will revive us after two days. On the third day, he will raise us up to live in his presence. Let us know, let us strive to know the Lord, as certain as the dawn is his coming. And his judgment shines forth like the light of day. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain that waters the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your piety is like a morning cloud, like the dew that early passes away. For this reason I smote them through the prophets. I slew them by the words of my mouth. For it is love that I desire, not sacrifice, and knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That reading comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 6. And it's something I see a lot. Uh, We think, man, if I just pray this prayer correctly, God will answer it for me. And God is saying very clearly here, it's not about the rubrics. It's not the sacrifice. It's not the the burnt offerings. It's love that I desire and knowledge of God. And so this is why we have that sacrament of confession is to restore us into relationship with God the Father. Our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 51. It is mercy I desire and not sacrifice. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sin cleanse me. It is mercy I desire and not sacrifice. For you are not pleased with sacrifices. Should I offer a burnt offering, you would not accept it. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. It is mercy I desire and not sacrifice. Be bountiful, O Lord, to Zion in your kindness by rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall you be pleased with due sacrifices, burnt offerings, and holocausts. It is mercy I desire and not sacrifice. You know, it's easy to forget that uh, those things that the rubrics, the whatever else, they are, it's so easy to get caught up in the, the motions of them rather than the emotions of them, right? Uh, If I do this right, God will be pleased. Rather than saying, 
when I am in relationship with God, these things are, are given extra meaning, right? It's not the things themselves, it's how they connect us to God. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 18. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself, O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy and dishonest and adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts and prayed, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's great hope for us, you and me today, because all we need to do is to come and say, Oh, have mercy on me. And God will have mercy. We're going to be talking about that with Father Alan Carter here in just a moment, as he's going to tell us what it looks like from his side of the screen in the confessional. Our reading from church history this week comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. Blessed are the merciful, because they shall obtain mercy, says the scripture. Mercy is not the least of the Beatitudes. Again, blessed is he who is considerate to the needy and the poor. Once more, generous is the man who is merciful and lends. In another place, all day the just man is merciful and lends. Let us lay a hold of this blessing. Let us earn the name of being considerate. Let us be generous. Not even night should interrupt you in your duty of mercy. Do not say, come back and I will give you something tomorrow. There should be no delay between your intention and your good deed. Generosity is the one thing that cannot admit of delay. Share your bread with the hungry and bring the needy and the homeless into your house with a joyful and eager heart. He who does acts of mercy should do so with cheerfulness. The grace of good deed is doubled when it is done with promptness and speed. What is given with a bad grace or against one's will is distasteful and far from praiseworthy. When we perform an act of kindness, we should rejoice and not be sad about it. If you undo the shackles and thongs, says Isaiah, that is, if you do away with the miserliness and the counting of cost without hesitation and grumbling, what will be the result? Something great and wonderful. What a marvelous reward there will be. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will rise up quickly. Who would not aspire to light and healing? If you think that I have something to say, servants of Christ, his brethren and co-heirs, let us visit Christ whenever we may. Let us care for him, feed him, clothe him, welcome him, honor him, not only at a meal as some have done, or by anointing him as Mary did, or only by lending him a tomb like Joseph of Arimathea, or arranging for his burial like Nicodemus, who loved Christ half-heartedly, or by giving him gold, frankincense, and myrrh like the Magi before all others. The Lord of all asks for mercy, not sacrifice. And mercy is greater than myriads of fattened lambs. Let us then show him mercy in the persons of the poor and those who today are lying on the ground, so that when we come to leave this world, they may receive us into everlasting dwelling places. In Christ our Lord himself, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
That reading today from Church History comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. I love these days when the lectionary just lines up perfectly. You know, it tells us uh, everything we need to hear. And this is truly preparing us to talk about the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation, penance, whatever it is you want to call it, that sacrament by which we enter into the confessional with penitent, with, with contrite hearts, with uh, contrite meaning I'm truly sorry about the thing, not sorry that I got caught, not sorry about the effects of it, but I'm, I'm truly sorry that what I did created a, a barrier between me and God the Father. Right? That's, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of teaching a class uh, for second graders, and a couple of them are a little older than that. But we're talking about contrition, what it means to be contrite. And that prayer, that uh, one of the prayers I pray uh, in the confessional, in failing to do good and choosing to do wrong, I have sinned against you, whom I should love above all things. Right? That's, that's the reason we go to confession. It's not because uh, God is, you know, up there keeping tally and he's really angry, right? It's that I have wounded the one that I love and I've wounded the relationships uh, between myself and the one that I love. I chose to do something wrong. It was wrong and I knew it and I chose it. And it was, it was as if I was saying, it's more important to me to get the pleasure of this moment of sin than to stay in a good relationship with you. And so this is why all of these scriptures from today have said to us, it's not about sacrifices or offerings. It's not about going through the motions and doing all the right things. It's about our relationship. It's about love. I desire love and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so all of these things that we do, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, they help us to see those ways that we have preferred something else to our relationship with God. Uh, God, the Father of mercies, who through the death and resurrection of his Son has reconciled the world to himself. And he does that through that gift, that sacramental gift of confession. We're going to talk with Father Alan Carter about that in just a moment. Why don't you jump over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Let me know what you think. I want you to be a part of this discussion. We'll be right back right after this. And a lot more of Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. Thanks for sticking through the break. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And here we are. Still in the middle of Lent, journeying towards uh, Easter Sunday, that Paschal Sunday, where we celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So during this season of Lent, we've, we've focused not only here on the show, but in our personal lives. We've focused on the three pillars of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Prayer is what, when we talk with God, it gives us God's perspective. So we see things as they are. Uh, fasting is where we give up some food or some activity, and that thing shows us what we're truly hungry for. Reveals to us maybe some hungers we didn't know we had that need to be brought under uh, submission, uh, some self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And then we have that that time of almsgiving where we uh, we give of those things that we have of our time and our resources to show us what things we truly value. 
Uh, sometimes we're surprised by the things we really value and we need to reprioritize. And all of that brings us back around to once we realize that we're hungering for the wrong things, that we are uh, valuing the wrong things, and that uh, the things that we thought we liked, now we, as we see things as they are, uh, maybe we don't like him quite as much as we thought. We see how they uh, put up a barrier between us and God. And so now we come to a show on the sacrament of confession or of penance or of reconciliation, lots of different names. It's all the same thing. And so here today, as we're going to talk about that, we're going to have a conversation with Father Alan Carter. Uh, he is, a, a, you're a radio guru yourself. You have a show on Breadbox Media called Vatican U, along with three of your brother priests. Uh, tell us a little bit about that show, when it airs, and what people can expect from it. I love that. You know, I ask you to bring down expectations so people don't hope so much. You <laughs> bring me as an expert. I love it. Uh Vatican U is is really so it's the members of my priest support group Father Chris Molesky who is a priest from the Diocese of Toledo Father Sean Whittington and Father Jerry Bird who are both priests of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis the four of us sort of envisioned this uh, show quite a while ago as just a way to help the people encounter um, the the magisterial documents of the church they can seem intimidating and we sometimes can have impressions of what's said in them particularly the documents of Vatican II. We can have impressions of what the church is saying without ever having encountered them ourselves. And so we call it a weekly walk through the teachings of the church where we really take these documents just three or four, maybe six paragraphs at a time mm -hmm. and spend a whole hour every week looking at them. We've just finished recording our fourth show on the papal bull that inaugurated this year of mercy. We really wanted to help people be able to encounter that document, that beautiful document from Pope Francis uh, called Misericordia Voltus. So that's, that's that show. Awesome. So now in your in your day job, you are a priest for the Diocese of Lexington, Kentucky, and you are at the Newman Center there at Holy Spirit Parish. Uh, so you have uh, no experience whatsoever dealing with difficult questions about the faith, <laughs> working with college students. Yeah, I tell you, one of the great things about the college age, especially college students who are beginning to awaken sometimes for the first time to their faith, is that there's a real holy boldness there mm -hmm. in asking questions and in trying to take these things seriously. You know, I encounter young people all the time who say, if this, if this thing we call faith and this relationship with God is really worth something, then it's worth being all in. Mm -hmm. and so we get to deal with those issues quite a bit. And as I was mentioning earlier, one of the great uh, joys of this ministry is we're in a parish that has a holy hour in confession every day before our daily mass. On Thursday evening, we have a special hour of confession just for our students, in addition to our regular parish times. Mm -hmm. And so it's a real blessing to encounter those questions, not only in our faith formation and our discipleship formation, but in the confessional itself. Now, as we get further in the show, what I want to talk about is what does confession look like from your side of the screen or from mm -hmm. your from your chair? Because I think a lot of times people are nervous about going to confession because it's it's hard enough to admit to ourselves through our Lenten fast, through uh, our almsgiving, it's to admit to ourselves that we have fallen short. And then now to go in front of someone else and to utter those things, our entire experience of, uh, of being vulnerable generally with this kind of thing is that we have to be wary and that that person, if they're not going to openly uh, spread word about such a thing, they're at least going to internally judge us. And so mm. we'll get to that 
as we get into the next segment. But something happened this week that I really want to bring up uh, because of all of the implications around it. And that's the, the court case out of Louisiana, where it was finally affirmed that no, uh, a priest does not have to break his seal of confession under court order, uh, that that's something that is still sacred. Now, uh, I have lots of friends and family who are not Catholic, and for their perspective, they're looking at that court case and what things were alleged in that court case, and they're confused about it because it wasn't the abuser themselves. Uh, For those of you who haven't known anything about this case, uh, someone has alleged that when they were younger, they went to confession and told a priest about some abuse that had happened in their life, uh, and they say that the priest gave them bad advice. Uh, and of course, when they try to call the priest to the stand, he's not able to say anything because of the seal of confession. He can't even acknowledge that he saw that person in confession, much less anything that person said or he said in that occasion. And so uh, the courts were trying to require him to reveal that. And so for my non-Catholic friends, they look at this and say, why couldn't he, since it wasn't betraying her confidence, why couldn't he go ahead and, uh, and help get that person help? And so the first thing that I said to, to those friends and family who had that question is, one, th- everything that's said is alleged because the priest is unable uh, to even acknowledge the confession, much less mm-hmm. uh, defend himself. But then I want you to talk just a little bit right here right out of the gate about why the seal of confession is inviolable. Yeah, I think the first thing to understand is that there are two things being served when the priest enters the confessional. And one of the things, of course, is the penitent that will appear in front of them. In other words, to be an adequate minister of God's love and mercy and forgiveness to the person who appears in front of you today or this minute. But in order to do that, the priest must also serve the integrity of the sacrament itself, which is part of what invites the penitent into that encounter with God's mercy. Mm -hmm. And so maintaining the seal of the sacrament in a way that there is no if-then, there is no question, there is no calculus to go through about when it can be broken, that is to maintain the integrity of the sacrament, to serve that sacred place so that any penitent, regardless of the nature of the sin, can feel as free as possible to approach God's forgiveness there. So now, something that I have seen done, I've heard done, is that a priest may uh, say to the penitent, you know, this is something that, that if you would like help with this beyond absolution, you can come and talk to me about this outside of the confessional. Uh, is that something that, that is a legitimate way to handle that situation? Absolutely. And I, there's been a lot of Facebook and social media conversation about this case today. And I've said over and over, I don't know a priest who encountering a young person or an older person in the confessional where this topic of conversation comes up. I don't know a priest who wouldn't say, who can I help you reach out to after you leave this confession to get the help that you need? Or are, can you come see me this afternoon as soon as confession is over so that I can get you the help you need? You do not deserve to be abused this way. You do deserve help and freedom. Let me help you do that. Um, But that would have to come outside the confessional. And they would have to bring it back up. You couldn't even look at them and remind them and say, hey, did you want to come see me about that thing? Right? That's, That's exactly right. And again, that's to serve both the penitent 
but also all penitents by serving the sacrament itself. So now let's talk about the the freedom that someone does have when they come to you to confess. Let's talk about what this the safety of the seal. What are the repercussions if you do break the seal? You know, I should have looked that up. I've been saying to folks that I think it's automatic excommunication reserved to the Holy See, mm-hmm. but I haven't pulled out the code of canon law to verify that today. You know, that, um, that's my understanding as well. I, yeah. Again, I don't have the code right in front of me, but that's also my... So what does it mean, excommunication reserved to the Holy See? If that's the penalty, what that means is that the priest who has dedicated his life to serving the mission of Christ and the people of the church would be removed from the body of the church by his own action in a way that only the Holy Father himself could repair that damage. But here's what I know. Whatever the sanction is, it is so high that there is no priest that I know of who under any circumstance would intentionally break the seal of the confessional. Mm-hmm. So what does that, you know, what does that look like for the normal individual who's coming and confessing what they think are their, uh, the most horrific, deepest, darkest secrets that, that you certainly in your life as a priest have never heard anything so grave uh, and they come to you and and confess, what does that safety afford them? The first thing that I want folks to really understand, I think the church wants people to understand, is that this is a sacred place and it's a sacred encounter between them and God into which the priest sets as a minister of God's mercy. And so it is as safe, as protected as one's own internal stirrings of their heart in communication with God, meaning that truly priest, every priest that I know would risk his life to protect that sacred moment for the penitent. There may be some specific questions you want to ask regarding that, but that's my primary uh, message or idea. So what you're saying is that it's a safe bet that if you confess something, it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't say it flippantly, but I don't even have to pause to say there's no question that I would risk imprisonment or with God's grace and help my life to protect the seal of the confession. Yeah. I mean, I don't say it flippantly, and it's easy for me to say that. Yeah. You know, I, I recall, and I'm sure that other people have had this experience. I grew up in the Protestant church, and I recall uh, having a uh, something come out of my sin, uh, and it came out in a public way to, to my parents. And my, Mm. my father is a Methodist clergy and he sought advice from someone that he knew who was also Methodist clergy. Of course, it's in confidence because it's clergy and in that Protestant way. Uh, and then Mm -hmm. before I knew it, every pastor that he knew, uh, somehow it went around the circle because, oh, well, I'm telling it to another pastor. So it's in confidence and it spread throughout all of the clergy in that area. And so for me, the, the seal was a really freeing thing that, yes, I can come and I can admit my own weakness and it's not going anywhere. It's a, that, that's guaranteed by the ministry of the church that it's between me and God uh, with the assistance of the priest. We've got lots more to talk about right after this break. We're talking with Father Alan Carter of the radio show Vatican U on breadboxmedia.com and the, uh, the, re- the parochial vicar of Holy Spirit Parish in Lexington, Kentucky, part of the University of Kentucky Newman Center. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Got a great show today here in this Lenten season. We're talking about the sacrament of confession, penance, reconciliation, whatever it is you want to call it. It's that sacrament where we come with our own weaknesses, which we're keenly aware of here in this Lenten season. We bring them before God, and with the assistance of the priest, we are reconciled again to God uh, from all of those things that have separated us. So, uh, Father, thank you again for being on the show, Father Alan Carter. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tim. So we're talking about confession, and just before the break, uh, I was talking about my my previous experience with um, uh, with the the Protestant kind of version of confession, and, and of uh, the you know that confidentiality that you expect from your pastor, which uh, to a certain extent is there. It didn't go to anyone besides clergy, but all of the clergy ended up knowing about it because uh, well, I can tell this other person, and it's it's in. A confidence. And, and so when I came into the Catholic church and I learned about the, the seal of confession and all that went along with it and the penalty that went along with it being broken, it really gave me a great deal of, uh, of confidence in being able to make my first confession. And this is something for me, that's very important with this topic of confession is because, uh, as I was coming into my first confession and I was going to have to, to make this, I'd been told my whole life, oh, well, you know, if you, if you sin, you, know, you go and you ask God to forgive you. First thing I was told is that all sin is equal. And then I was told, you just go and you ask God to forgive you and he'll, and he'll forgive you. And so I would go and I would have these prayers and I would ask God's forgiveness for these things that I felt really, truly contrite about, uh, and in, in the Protestant world. And, so then as I would do that, I would feel great for a while. Maybe I'd have this mountaintop experience at a conference or at a camp or some other something, and I'd feel great for a while. And then I'd get home and I could never shake the guilt of these things. People mm-hmm. told me, oh, you're forgiven because you ask God to forgive you. You never have to ask again. And so I knew intellectually that that was the case, that uh, I'd asked for forgiveness and he, and it was in my past, but I couldn't shake uh, this lingering guilt. So here I was, Father, at my first confession and trusting in the seal, grateful for the seal. And I confessed all of those things that I had in my private uh, closet, confessed to God, pouring out my heart many, many times. And here I am, I tell it to the priest one time, and he utters those words, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his son, has reconciled the world to himself. That whole thing. And then he uh, gave absolution mm-hmm. and I knew it. And for the yeah. first time I knew that I was actually forgiven. And so people say, well, why do you have to go to a priest? It's like, no, I get to go to a priest and it gives me such confidence, uh, in the forgiveness and the mercy of God. Yeah. You know, that it's such a gift that Jesus left us in this sacrament and it, you know, Jesus knows human psychology. God knows us. He made us Jesus Christ lived the human experience apart from sin. And, and also God is keenly aware of the way that the enemy wants to ruin our peace. With that voice that you said, you know, when you were describing your younger days and that voice that kept coming back with, here's the guilt and here's the, am I really forgiven? And, you know, did God really hear me or has God really accepted my confession? Um, and, you know, um, there's brilliance in the priest. By the way, you, the priest in the confessional who sits as, 
judge and doctor, but judge only in the terms of understanding, has the person in front of me made his good confession? Because if so, I can make known to him in an unequivocal way God's forgiveness. I can assure him of the absolution of his sin. And there's freedom and peace that comes from that that can come in no other context. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why it's so beautiful. So let's talk some about this perspective of confession from your side. Uh, you know, we, we often think, oh, well, you know, the thing I've done is worse than what anybody else in the world has ever done. And I keep doing this thing. And, and the priest is going to get tired of me coming and they're going to see me again. They're going to think, oh, well, here's this person. I remember everything they've ever done. And uh, so I guess I've got to give them a harder penance this time or something. And so <laughs> I think that that uh, that that psychology, that mindset, is what keeps people away from the confessional from you know for years. We have people who who have maybe they did their first confession back when they were kids, or maybe they after after confirmation they said, you know, I'm done. Uh, I'm done darkening the door of the confessional. I'm just going to go and and be happy in the pew. Let's talk about what it looks like from your side when a, a hypothetical, random, non-specific person walks into your your confessional? Well, the first thing that I think is important for everybody to understand is that you're confessing to a priest who is also a recipient of God's mercy himself. And so you're confessing to a sinner who also confesses. And so the priest knows what it's like to sit in the penitent's chair. He couldn't be an adequate minister of God's mercy if he himself is not reaching out crawling on his knees as a sinner in need of God's love and forgiveness himself. And so the first thing that the priest sees is, I think, courage and hope, those things that motivate us to reach out for God's love and mercy because he's felt them himself. Um, there was a great article that was published many years ago on, I believe it was um, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students blog, but it's four or five years ago now that it was called From My Side of the Confessional. And the first thing, you know, that this priest writing it says is everybody thinks that the priest sees my sin. What the priest really sees is courage and um, and hope. And I concur with that 100 percent. I think the second thing to say is this, and believe it or not, I'd heard priests say it before, and it's incredibly true. Um, and and it sounds cliche, but I um, I hope I hope I've got if, if I have any trustworthiness, folks will believe me. Um <laughs> The, the sin is not what I carry away from any encounter with a particular penitent. In other words, what I carry away is their, is their hope for healing and their desire for healing. And, you know, often people will say to me, I guess if I've seen them maybe three or four times in a row for confession, they'll say, you know, um, Father, like I confessed last time, and I say, you're going to have to remind me what you confessed last time. It, it, it's not that I'm, you know, just flighty. It's that um, that's not what sticks in my brain. Another thing I think is important is um, priests really have heard it all. And so you do not need to be afraid that what you need to confess is going to scandalize the priest. Um, in, in my first month of the priesthood, I had lost any ability to be scandalized by, uh, by sin, partly back to that focus on the penitent and their courage in the confessional. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those are the, the basics of, of the priest perspective. Now, for the opposite side. So we mm -hmm. have that person who, who is nervous and they, they don't feel like they can go in. You've, you've uh, allayed their fears. Now you've got the person who 
maybe goes into what we call scrupulosity. They're overly mm. concerned about things that may not matter or may not be uh, what we call mortal sin. Uh, they may be, you know, I, I forgot to brush my teeth on time, right? Or, you know, talk to us a little bit about how one can strike that balance of recognizing whether they're a person who doesn't go enough or maybe they may be going into a little bit of scrupulosity. I think the first thing is to trust your priest confessor. Again, he sits there also as a doctor of souls. And so his counsel is going to be helping you to find that balance. So trust in that counsel. The second thing is look out for a list of two or three sins that are the ones that drive you crazy or the feeling of compulsion. I have to get to the sacrament of reconciliation right now or the world won't be okay because God does not drive us that way. Mm -hmm. um, when our world and our discipleship tends to collapse around the experience of just one or two failings, that is not God's love and mercy at work. I often find myself recommending to penitents who are there and seem to be trapped in a focus on just one or two things to find a, an examination of conscience that fits them. If you, if you go to Google and type in examination of conscience, you can find a thousand Mm -hmm. uh, read over several of them. Find one that fits your station in life, your personality, where you are on your discipleship journey. But routinely look at the whole examination because that's how it's a way of broadening our exposure, not to find more sin, but to see that our world isn't collapsed into these one or two little struggles. Those things tend to be very effective in helping to break free from some of that scrupulosity. All right. Talk to us a little bit about that difference between uh, mortal sin, which must be confessed in the confessional, and venial sin, which is often covered by the prayers of the Mass. Sure. The first thing I'll say is the point of going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation is both to be forgiven and restored into relationship with God and the community of faith, on the one hand, but also, on the other hand, to receive God's grace and mercy, which heals the wound in us that leads us to sin. Mm -hmm. And so, that would be the primary reason why we would want to go to confession regularly, even if we're not aware of mortal sin. So even okay. if our relationship hasn't been wounded, we'd still want to go. Okay. So what are the criteria, though, for those that absolutely we must go to confession for? The shorthand that I give folks is if you've broken one of the Ten Commandments in an obviously recognizable way, you've committed a great—and you did it freely— Right. then you've committed a grave act that you need to confess before you receive Holy Communion again. Yeah, and you know, I think that's something we often miss. I think maybe we presume upon the mercy of God a little because we think, well, you know, even though I'm doing this thing that's driving a wedge between me and God, I can still go and participate in the sacraments. We need to remember that when we choose something over God the Father, just like the prodigal son, uh, we have to return just like the prodigal son. And, and the sacrament of confession is the way that we do that. We're talking with Father Alan Carter. He is the, uh, the parochial vicar of Holy Spirit Parish in Lexington, Kentucky, right there on the campus of the University of Kentucky. Also a host of the Breadbox Media show, Vatican U. You're going to want to catch that. Find it over at breadboxmedia.com. Why don't you join our conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to know what you think. I don't want you to confess anything because, you know, Facebook does not have a seal. No seal on Facebook. But tell me a little bit about your, uh, your perspective on the sacrament. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Got a great show today. We're talking with Father Alan Carter, priest of the Diocese of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, works there at the uh, as a vicar of Holy Spirit Parish, which is on the uh, campus of University of Kentucky. Uh, and uh, you you are a host of Breadbox Media's show, Vatican U, you along with three of your priest brothers, talking about all the difficult concepts, concepts of the day uh, and going through just some fun interaction as well. You can find out more information about that show over at breadboxmedia.com. Today we're talking about the sacrament of confession, reconciliation, penance, whatever it is you want to call it. Uh, that sacrament which restores us and heals us uh, of the wound of sin. And so here we are in that Lenten season where it is a, the term is a penitent season or a penitential season. Uh, and of course, that sacrament of penance, penitential, we're getting some uh, connection there. Talk to <laughs> us about how this season of Lent, as we are preparing for Easter, uh, correlates to that that uh, penitential act of confession, which prepares us for the joy of that resurrection power. You know, I'm going to use a word as the theme that is is uh, unexpected by most people when they ask me to talk on this, and and that word is hope. What what ties Lent to Easter? What ties the sacrament of reconciliation to our own Easter? Our journey of discipleship is hope. And I think of it this way: I, I often do confirmation retreats for uh, young people. And when I'm talking to them about the Sacrament of Reconciliation, I specifically use images, by the way, that the church gives us for Lent, of Moses journeying with the children of Israel through the desert toward the Promised Land, and Jesus journeying on his 40 days to be tempted to the beginning of his ministry, which was all about Easter. And those journeys can seem um, difficult, but the difficulty is specifically for the purpose of creating the ability to enter into what is promised, to enter into the resurrection. And so the penance that we do during Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, um, you know, even when we take on additional exercises for ourselves, sometimes it can be easy to fall into the notion that that penance is punishment. Mm -hmm. But penance and punishment are very different things. Penance is not about retribution or punishment. Penance is about, I like to tell people, it's about stretching in the direction of God's grace, mm -hmm. uh, stretching in the way that we are hoping to grow. And so when we enter the, the notion of Lent, what we say, I think importantly, is how are we entering this 40 days in the desert hoping to be more able to encounter the beauty and the truth of Easter? Each of us, regardless of how many Easter's we've encountered, needs to try to let that reality settle into us more deeply every year. And so penance is the work that we do to cooperate with God's grace in order to encounter that more deeply. That's what the nature of the Sacrament of Reconciliation is all about. You know, I said earlier that there are two things that happen in the sacrament. One is forgiveness, and we tend to focus on that as if God is a super bookkeeper, accountant, waiting for us to confess all the things so he can check off the list. That forgiveness happens, but I think the more important thing that happens is God applies the medicine and the mercy and the grace that we need right where we're wounded that, that are the obstacles to our relationship with him and the obstacles to our living in the fullness of Easter. And it's that hope of Lent, that hope moving toward Easter, that we, that we encounter in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. So let's talk about the person who hasn't been in a while. 
and they mm-hmm. they're listening to us and they've made it this far through the show. Uh, what would you say to them for that person? Maybe it's been five years or 10 years and they just are covered by shame. I don't want to go because I, I already know I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but here I am and I'm doing it. And uh, maybe this is a, a past shame or maybe this is an ongoing sin uh, that they are just really not wanting to put in front of anybody. What do you say to that person? I think the first thing to say is think about what it might feel like in order to be free from that shame. Just just consider um, what freedom from that could do in your life, in your prayer, in your experience of, of everyday existence. And would it be worth it to give this a shot? That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is, don't be, can so many people get tied up with, it's been so long, I don't know how to do it right. Is the priest going to judge me? The priest is there to help you. His primary job is to help you make your confession. And so if the only thing you know how to do is to walk into the confessional and say, Father, it's been 50 years since my last confession, and I don't know what to do. Do that. That start will end in a successful confession. And I promise that you will not leave the confessional without having been relieved of that weight that you're carrying around. Um, It doesn't mean that the sin will vanish instantly, right? Mm -hmm. We we, we have to grow. Um, But um, uh, those are my first thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, we're talking with Father Alan Carter out of the Diocese of Lexington about the sacrament of confession. And I I just have to tell you from my perspective, uh, for me, confession is such a gift because of what you're talking about. There is no judgment. There is no, uh, well, gosh, this is the 12th time this year I've uh, I've seen you for this exact thing. No, it is truly uh, an act of of mercy, an act that results in mercy. And here, here we are right in the middle of what Pope Francis has called the year of mercy. This is the time to go. I mean, what do you have to lose really? Because uh, the priest is unable to even acknowledge that you came to him, right? The priest is not going to share it with anyone. He's not going to judge you. And even if he did, even if you got one of those priests who is going to be crotchety and judge you, he can't say anything about it. So what does it matter? Amen. Right? Uh, And so here you have someone who, not from their own ability, not from their own righteousness or holiness, but from the, the, the seal that God has placed upon their hearts, they are able to, to minister to you and to give you the gift uh, of promised mercy that we have been given by Christ's uh, life, death, and resurrection. Here we are. This is the, the, the heart of the Paschal mystery, that God, through the death and resurrection of, this, of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself. I hope that before the end of this Lenten season, you find your way to a confessional line and you receive the mercy of God. That's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio. Heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.